0: Welcome to The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Join us every Saturday for a deep discussion about the biggest stories of the week. Go behind the scenes with journalists, political figures, and newsmakers to get a unique look at our city. And also, I want to hear from you, the listener. So please send any questions, critiques, or sponsorship inquiries to my email at hsanders at Thank you so much, and enjoy this episode of The Dive Podcast. Welcome back to The Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Thank you so much for joining us today on this October 2nd for episode 40 of The Dive. We have a great show for you today. We are talking about this week's Willamette Week cover story. We have two interviews to bring to you today. The first is with the author of a new book that looks at some new Portland maps. So it dissects a bunch of different things with these new cool maps, and it compares our city to... Two other cities being Seattle and San Francisco, and these maps are able to highlight some things that make Portland unique. We are joined by Hunter Schaub, who is a professor at PSU, and he helps co-write this book. So he talks about the maps that were in this week's cover story and talks about where Portland's going, where we've come from. Fascinating interview there. Great to talk to him. But our second interview is also very interesting, and it is by the person who wrote this week's cover story, and that is our trusty news editor. Aaron Mesh. We talked to him about all things Portland, Talk about his love for maps. It's a great episode. I know what you're thinking. Maps, boring. No, maps are not boring. Even if you're listening to a podcast about maps, couldn't be more interesting than this episode. E40 right here. Stick around. Stick with us. But before we get to those interviews, we have to bring you all the headlines. It's our duty right? It's what, we, it's what we sign up for when we subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe, by the way, please. Thank you. Uh, but before we get to the, the interviews, like I said, we got to bring you all the news, everything that happened this week. This is the 9 Second News Flash. Folks, I want to start with this, and it might not be something that is on the forefront of your brain right now, but I promise you over the next few months, it is going to be all anyone wants to talk about, whether it's your neighbors, your friends, your family, your colleagues, me, all of us are going to be talking about the race for Oregon's governor, because for over 20 years, we've always had an incumbent in the race. This is the first time in 25 years, actually, where we don't have an incumbent. So Kate Brown is legally not allowed to run again. So whether you like it or not, she's out. So that just means we should all be expecting an extra crowded Democratic primary, and that's what we're seeing, guys. We have four names. One just joined us, and that's the name I want to talk about this week, because that's the newsmaker. That is State Treasurer Tobias Reed has entered the match. He's thrown his name in the hat officially. We all were expecting it a while ago, but it made news when he officially did it. He is the most well-heeled of the four who have joined. He has raised over $350,000, which doubled. The next person's raising, uh, you know, raising amount. So far, the other four, uh, three people are Patrick Starnes. This is in the Democrats, of course, just the Democrats. So it's Patrick Starnes. Tina Kotek, Casey Kula, and now Tobias Reed. So those are the four names. We have a couple other names being thrown around as possible people who are interested in running. Those names are headlined by New York Times reporter Nick Kristoff and Ellen Rosenbloom. So it'll be very interesting to see. And like I said, Willamette Week will keep you updated better than anyone. I hope to have most of those people on the podcast to talk to you about their vision for our city and state. So let's just uh, hang tight on that story, but thought we'd bring to you Uh, the news about Tobias Reed. Hey, have you ever called somebody and thought, hey, I wish that they sounded a little bit more robotic because you may be city commissioner Mingus Maps because he wants to bring artificial intelligence to our 911 dispatch. So our 911 dispatchers are overworked and there's too much for them to do. And so he wants to incorporate some sort of artificial intelligence robo responds to the least dire calls that the 911 uh, dispatchers get you know Tess and Sophie work their tails off to get you the nitty-gritty on these types of issues and they just reported their hearts out on this story giving you the intricacies of what Mingus is talking about what he sees something i can't do justice in what is known as the 92nd news flash so make sure to go read their article they work really hard and did a great job dissecting this. Look, I'm a fan of a lot of things. I like pizza. Um, I like Little Big Burger. I'm a big Little Big Burger fan. I like maps, as you'll learn. I'm a big map fan. But one thing I'm not a fan of is this statistic that shows that Portland had the second largest increase in homicides from 2019 to 2020 of any major city in America. Yeah, not not great. So Milwaukee, shout out to Milwaukee. You guys took the cake. You guys took the number one spot, but uh, but we took number two. So, you know, not proud of that. I don't like that stat. Not a fan there. But like I said, I'm a fan of pizza. And so, you know, since I brought up pizza, now we're all hungry. So let me tell you where you can get the best pizza in Portland. Yeah, we all know about Pizza Shoals. We know about Ken's Artisan Pizza, but here's a few new names. Jerry PDX they are the latest phenomenon in Portland and make sure to keep the name of that in the back of your hat you know think about that name remember that name because we'll revisit that name in a few episodes not exactly sure when but we'll uh, we'll talk about it don't worry ranch pdx joins jerry pdx and so does cesario pizza now italians you can check my pronunciation on that not sure i'm doing that justice but you know, those are the best spots, along with, of course, Ken's and the Pizza Shoals. But that's boring, so we wanted to, not boring, but, you know, we wanted to add a few uh, to the list of, of must-go-tos. I mean, Portland was rated the best pizza place in the world, or in the country, uh, just recently, so make sure to go uh, go try those spots out. To finish off, you know, let's finish off a light news week uh, with this. The Blazers have a 100% vaccination rate. Woohoo! That is, that is hard to come by these days. Uh, that's not a given for the NBA these days. And if you're thinking, Hank, hey, I can't afford... Uh, courtside tickets. Why should I care if they're vaccinated? Well, okay, n- neither can I. Almost nobody can. But it is nice if you're a Blazers fan because it means we won't be forfeiting any games. We won't be that team that has a COVID outbreak where people have to uh, you know, change plans and we have to change the schedule and add games late in the season. So it's nice to see us fully vaccinated. And hey, this is our year. It really is. It is, you know, people are saying as dames last year. I don't want to say that. You didn't hear that from me, right? But, uh, you know, we can all be optimistic, but this is going to be our year. So, with that, with those hopeful words, with that 90 second news flash, this has been, you heard it there, the 90 second news flash. Our first interview of the episode is with a guy named Hunter Shobe. Now, Hunter Shobe is a professor at Portland State University, and him and his fellow colleague, another Portland State professor named David Bannis, they together have been working on a book about Portland maps, trying to explain Portland's quirkiness and uniqueness and diagram the cultural aspects of the city through maps. And they're doing this by comparing maps that they've made with uh, about portland and they're comparing it to maps that they've made about seattle and san francisco so with those three cities they're trying to look at maps to try to describe our city in the best way possible so they make the maps they analyze them they compare them with the other cities and trying to paint a picture of what portland's all about so obviously we had questions about these maps we had to get hunter on to talk about the maps where that were an integral part of this week's cover story have i said the word maps enough Well, I'm going to say it even more later on in the episode, so stick around. Here's our first interview. We talked to Aaron Mesh down the road, but first, Hunter Shob. With you, I want to go back and I want to start six years ago when you, Hunter, started working on these projects, working on these maps. When did you decide this is what I want to do, this is what I want to spend a lot of time on?
1: So um, this book grew out of a previous book, which was published in 2015. It was called Portland as a Cultural Atlas. And it was a, a look at Portland in the metropolitan area here exclusively. And so we, we also worked on that one for a bunch of years. And when it was released in 2015, it, people liked it. We, we felt good about it. Um, we had worked with a lot of people on it. So we decided we would work on something new, but we wanted to move beyond Portland. We, want, we, didn't, we wanted to keep working on Portland, but not just Portland. We had a number of different ideas. Um, the first idea for the new new book was uh, called transex, And we were going to um, have sort of routes, like five routes throughout each city and then tell stories about the cities as we went through neighborhoods and things like that. And we worked with that concept for almost a year before we decided that it was too difficult um, to make work. So we, we came back to the, the, the cultural atlas idea. Um, and these are the three cities we ultimately settled on. We had a couple others in the mix at one point. Um, And we thought we might do some highlights on smaller places along the way, but for us to really focus and wrap our minds around everything, we really need to focus on the three cities.
0: Hunter, you know, when you do these maps and your book is no exception, a lot of map books will, they have two parts, right? There's the, Mm -hmm. how did you make the map? What went into making of the maps? And then like your book does, the second part would be trying to analyze what does this tell us about our city? What does it tell us about the other cities And, and how is Portland unique or different? So most of my questions are about the second part, but I want to start off with that first part. So what goes into making each of these maps that goes into this book?
1: Well, each of the page spreads that you see in the book took between maybe 18, 24 plus months to make, right? So this is an iterative process. This isn't, you know, this is to the side of everything else all of us are doing. And so we we work on it as we can. But um, to conceptualize a page and get the story right takes a long time. In terms of the maps, sometimes there's data that we can we can collect from cities or other sources and you know, the census or something like that. But sometimes there's data that we have to collect ourselves uh, if we want to make a map. Uh, and sometimes it's a combination of those things. So you know, we, we came up with a list of ideas. We started talking to different contributors about them. And the things that people were most excited about and ran with and we kept going with that we could figure out how to tell a story about are the things that stuck in the book.
0: You know, I've sat through enough history classes in my day where people say mm-hmm. that we study history, uh, we look at the past in order to predict the future, and I think maps can be of the same value. So f- with me today, can you predict what Portland, obviously not, you know, accurately maybe, but can you try to predict what Portland might look like in five to ten years?
1: I can't. I really, right. I mean, it's a tough question, and I, yeah. I would be, it would just be me speculating. I mean, a lot of the work we did on the book makes us think a little bit about what things could happen, and you know, what what things could be like in the future. But things are at such a unique moment right now, right? We haven't really experienced things like this before, and w- how things are going to progress is is it's difficult to speculate on. So I, I don't think that I want to.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, Expand expand on that unique moment, because obviously, you know, people keep calling it a unique moment for Portland with protests and COVID, but Mm -hmm. uh, all the other places have had protests and COVID. What is unique right now about Portland?
1: I think that, uh, I mean, if we look at last year and, and, you know, the the protest um, graphic that we, we created for the book kind of illustrates this, that, you know, Portland had a very intense period of protest um, compared to these other cities. I mean, there are certainly protests in the other cities, big ones, but they weren't, uh, they didn't happen on a daily basis like they did here for 100 days. And so that, even though that 100 days or whatever is over, I mean, that legacy and that sort of attention remains in Portland. And so I think Portland has become a place that people are looking to to maybe get a sense of what might happen in other places.
0: I'm I'm in Chicago, I go to school in Chicago and I spend a lot of time in downtown Chicago. And some of the best parts, probably the best parts about Chicago are the public services, you know, the, uh, the, the infrastructure is so great. The, you know, the public works projects are just so phenomenal here. And when I'm in Portland, I feel like the best parts of Portland, you know, if you were to make a list one through 10 would all be the private sector, you know, the restaurants, the, the businesses, the, the fashion. And so it really feels like sometimes all the other cities and Seattle and San Francisco are in the same vein. They have such better public, works and the city and the people who are in power in the city have so much more imagination where re- we're really being run by mom and pop shops who are really creative and inventive. Do you think that's fair? Did that stick out in the maps where we're kind of lacking some of the leadership that the other cities have from a civics level?
1: I'm going to say it's a little unfair. Okay. Chicago, first of all, is a wonderful city, is a very big city. with It's a very global city. And so a lot of these amenities and the things and and the sort of marquee things and public space, we're talking about public space, for example, in Chicago, which has some amazing ones. I mean, those are in a lot of ways, not just for the people of Chicago, but to create an image of Chicago so that people will know Chicago in certain ways and people want to locate their businesses there and they'll want to go there and these kinds of things, just an example. And and I I think you're right, maybe that Seattle and San Francisco have maybe more of that because it's more ramped up. But I think that there's a lot of thoughtfulness going on in Portland among the leadership and over the years, and not everybody always agrees with who's in charge. But I think and we have also remember, we have a very different model of, of governing here in Portland compared to these other cities. In the other cities, the mayor has a much stronger role, for example. And here, the duty, you know it's structured so that the supervisors share a lot of the responsibilities that a mayor would normally have. So one thing to keep in mind about Portland is that we have a pretty different, government structure than a lot of these other cities. And we might want to ask ourselves whether that's to explain you know that helps explain any of the things that you know we do as well. grateful for the little
0: things I love. Folks, our second and final interview is with the Heartbeat of Willamette Week, and that is the news editor, Aaron Mesh. So it's great to have him in today. He wrote this week's cover story, obviously using the work that Hunter spent so much time on, the maps and everything. But, uh, but, But you know, a lot goes into these cover stories, and I wanted to go behind the scenes and talk to him about the logistics of this story. And I know what you're thinking. The logistics behind a cover story about maps, does it get any more boring than that? First of all, of course it gets more boring than that. How about the the logistics behind a cover story about snails or paint drying? So it can always get worse. So just chill out. And second of all, Aaron's always fun to talk to. So it's a really fun interview. Thank you so much for getting this far. Can't wait to see at the end of the episode. Let's run the interview. So take us behind the scenes as the editor, the news editor for Willamette Week. How did you find this book and why did you think that this was an important cover for us to go into?
2: True story is that uh, this cover was put together in about four days because we have a couple of longer investigative features we're working on that we decided needed a little more time to cook. So when that happens, part of my job is to figure out uh, what other things are of the moment have a a heat and a friction and an interest level for our readers that will help them understand the city a little bit. And uh, these two authors, Hunter and David were are scheduled to speak, I guess were by the time this podcast comes out. We're scheduled to speak uh, on Thursday uh, at a Powell's Books reading. And as I looked at the work they were doing, it reminded me of work that our paper has done that's similar. One of the great ways to understand how our city functions is to compare it to other similar cities.
0: As the editor, you obviously think about this paper every cover Uh, from the consumer perspective and something like maps. I mean, I looked at the online, you know, scanning of the, uh, of the print paper, and it's just beautiful with the maps and the colors and the way it flows. And you, you obviously miss some of that when it's, you know, to a smaller degree, when it's on the podcast and to a much more significant degree when it's online. So is there any hesitancy when you're like, uh, I kind of want to stay away from maps because I know that a lot of our readers are research are, are getting our paper uh, from, you know, online and other sources where it may not come across as beautifully.
2: I'm a stubborn old man about maps. <laughs> and that means that I think that one of the very best ways for delivering information about the shape of this city and where things are happening and to un- have an understanding of what neighborhoods are affected and how problems break down granularly is to look at them on a map and see with with uh, as best you can how the problem lays out geographically. Uh, I was obsessed with maps as a kid. Uh, I was a consistent participant in the National Geography Bee where I never quite won and maybe it's not quite winning. Maybe it's finishing second two years in a row for, uh, <laughs> uh, that caused me to be so obsessed with maps. And so I suppose my crabby old man response is, if the medium doesn't allow you to show a map, change the
0: medium. My feeling for the maps is that it seems like, and you alluded to this in your article, that it seems like Portland is the kind of bad younger brother to the other cities. You know, we have the most weed shops. We rebel the loudest and the longest. We, our houses are cheaper and we're not buying as buying or selling as much industry. What was your takeaway from these maps?
2: I think you're suggesting that Portland is the dirtbag sibling of the three, and I don't think that's wrong. Like, but I think that like there's a reason for that, and I think that reason isn't just something in our character that we're the bad seed and we woke up on the wrong side of the bed and like we're uh, we're just more dangerous and we're James Dean to, <laughs> to their Montgomery. Class. Like, I, I think the reason why Portland remains a little edgier, a little more raw. Has a uh, a little bit more of a anti-authoritarian vibe traces back to economics. I think the most important chart inside this week's paper is the one that shows imports. So it's not the most exciting chart. It's certainly yeah, a, yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, it's not the most exciting one, right? Like the, the 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 the. It's very pretty. They've they've done a chart, and I can describe it for you. You know, because I'm gonna try to. Take a map and turn it into a different form. Right. You have this chart that looks a little bit like a like a piece of abstract art, like uh, not Jackson Pollock, but uh, was it Cleef? Um, I'm forgetting his name. The, the guy like, who does the
0: the squares. Yeah, the yeah. Squares.
2: It's just it's yeah. just a series of squares that uh, of increasing sizes. And when you compare them side by side, you realize that the biggest squares, the biggest red, orange, green squares on this on this uh, chart showing goods imported from overseas. To Seattle, San Francisco, and Portland. Well, what's the biggest good that's imported to Seattle? It's aircraft parts. Well, there's a clear reason right. why airplane engines are coming to Seattle. Airplane engines are coming to Seattle because they're headed for Boeing. The number one import for um, for San Francisco is chips for computers. Well, where are those chips going? They're going to Apple, they're going to Google, they're going inside Android phones, and they're going inside iPhones. Portland's number one import is, uh, which is on a far, far smaller scale, is, if I remember correctly, um, I think it's, it's, for, it's the components for silicon wafers, and those are going to Intel. But the thing that those charts don't quite show, but I think you you can only see with scale, is how much larger the the squares are for Seattle and San Francisco. Because Intel, while a significant company and Oregon's largest employer, simply doesn't compare on a national scale to Boeing, to Google, to Apple, to Microsoft, to Amazon. The economic engines of those cities are so much larger. And what does that mean? That means that the people who live there tend to be better educated, tend to have a higher income, tend to be more corporate, tend to like be more square. Um, and who lives? In, who can still afford to live in Portland? People who can still afford to live in Portland, at least in some neighborhoods of Portland, might in fact still be activists. I think Seattle and San Francisco share our politics but didn't have the same energy for protest because the people who have the energy for protest can no longer afford to live there.
0: Interesting, so we're we're one more mega company away from shipping all of our activists over to Colorado or whoever it might be, is that is that kind of an idea?
2: I can't remember who said this to me. It was somebody who I interviewed probably 10 years ago for an economic story for Willamette Week about the job market who said, the greatest single event that happened in portland history the most significant event that ever happened in portland history was that bill gates's garage was outside of seattle and not outside of portland yeah that just the sheer luck that this one nerdy kid lived in seattle and didn't live in portland because he could have like in every other way he's a portlander
0: folks that's our episode thank you so much for tuning in catch us next week for episode 41 another banger coming your way till then stay safe have some fun we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way. So give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us. And thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Pangamibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family last but not least thank you so much to heather witty and amp for the music that you hear on this podcast for willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast